Please open in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. We're going to begin with verse 12. So if you remember where we've come, just as a, a brief introduction here, we've, we saw, well, two people, married couple, but even before that, we saw Barnabas come. He arrived on the scene here, and um, really the end of chapter 4, he's the son of encouragement. He had come in, the Lord had put it on his heart, he had sold his land, his possessions. We had so many people, some have estimated, I don't know, somewhere between uh, 100,000 or even somewhere in that neck of the woods of people that would have been traveling in for the holy days, for the pilgrim back, pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. So as they were coming through, um, they obviously heard about Jesus Christ. They saw the Passover. They saw the crucifixion. They began to believe. They were cut to the heart, and they stayed, and they stayed for the feast days. Now, as they're there for the feast days, as we know from much of even Israel today, when you look at the population of that city, feast days, it explodes. I mean, you go from a population probably of somewhere around 5,000 to literally, like I mentioned, million. I mean, it's quite an explosion of population in Israel, in Jerusalem during these feast days. So these folks wouldn't have had places to go. I mean, they made pilgrimages, right? I mean, 3,000 some miles. I mean, far away they would come. And so what happens is we see this early church being birthed. And Barnabas and others, they had come together. They had shared their common possession. Again, this isn't a call to communism where we, we all come together and we share our common, you know, that's not what this is. This was a time fitting for what was going on in the early church. As we see that move and transpire, we see <clears throat> a man by the name of Ananias and his wife Sapphira. She comes forward, he comes forward, first he comes first, he sells his possession. The idea in the Greek there, we talked about it, Nasfizo has this idea of where we've seen it used in Titus, talking about stealing, is almost that the Lord was stealing, or uh, excuse me, that Ananias was stealing from the Lord that way and holding back some of the possession. Whereas, like I said, the Barnabas had come in and he had given it all. It wasn't a matter of if he had to give it all. It was a matter that really he gave the heir as though he had given it all, but he had actually kept some back. So he was sort of stealing from God, giving a false heir. And as we moved with that, we saw that still, in spite of all that was going on, even with the Holy Spirit, that, that even touching these two people, and, and I do believe, you know, it's possible they were saved. People ask, could they be saved, not saved? You know, we end up getting as far as that fear came upon the church and upon all who heard these things. So they began to see, even in spite of the lying to the Holy Spirit, which is what you know, Ananias and Sapphira did, this church continues to grow, and it continues to grow, and multitudes will continue to come. And there's this reverential, I guess if you could say, fear and respect now, because they realize that God is working in a way that they have never seen from the religious leaders or in Judaism. In all the, the days of their lives, they're seeing something magnificent. People are being healed in ways they had never seen. You know, they're coming to Solomon's porch. They're going into the temple. Also remember, the apostles and disciples at this point, they're no longer engaging in the sacrificial practice. We read about that. They go up to the temple, but they go up for a time of prayer and worship. They're no longer sacrificing. It's interesting when we read that because in the days we're living in modern times, you know, not to get into end times prophecy, but as you know, Ezekiel 38 tells us that what will happen again is that there will be a temple rebuilt and sacrificial system will go and will be put into place. The sacrificial system is never for you and I. We have our sacrifice. It's Jesus Christ. He paid once and for all, right? We understand that. But it's interesting because you can start to see the end times already moving about us. I, mean, I can almost stop where we are right here and go into an end times um, just prophetic because of all the things that are going on just in this week alone and in our country. 
I hope you're praying for our president. Our, our, I mean, the decision he has to make, I would not want to be that man right now. You know, do we go to war with North Korea? I mean, these are the things that are going on right now. We're living in perilous times, as the Bible would say. We are, we are living in the last days, and we're literally seeing these nations come together. And for 2,000 years, we've had the hope and continue to have the hope that just as God wrote here and he sustained his church, he will sustain his church today in spite of what's going on, in spite of what's going on that way. So let's pick up here in verse 12, and we'll continue on. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Now that in itself is magnificent and miraculous because there's this unity among the body, there's this constant unity going forward that in spite of the division that was tempted between Ananias, whether they knew they were Ananias and Sapphira, there's the married couple, whether they were, knew they were gonna be used as a part of division or not, I don't know and I'm not the judge of that. But in spite of that, it did not come against the church. They continued to, to follow in one accord. Prayers are being answered. Why do I say that? Because remember, in Acts chapter four, verse 20, when we read that together, what was their prayer for? Their prayer was for boldness. Their prayer was for continual works of God. I use the term Christian trouble, getting more in Christian trouble, because what did the religious leaders do with these apostles at the time? He threatened them. They threatened them. They basically said, if you continue to preach in the name of Jesus Christ, you know, we're gonna do what? Maybe we're gonna kill your children. We're gonna, we're gonna take you out, your wife out, your husband out, whatever. And they went in and they prayed together. Lord, they didn't pray, Lord, take away the trial. They, they prayed for strength, but they also prayed for more works of the Holy Spirit, for healing, for the gospel to go forward, for the boldness in spite of the trial. I think that's how we need to be praying today. We shouldn't be looking away and saying, Lord, don't, don't necessarily bring suffering. We know suffering and affliction is part of being a Christian, part of being disciples. But in spite of that, we should also be praying, God, look, put me in positions. You've given me the Bible. I mean, we have the full counsel of the word of God. Put me in a place where we can, we can be used. I could give hope to someone because my eyes were dimly lit. You know, I was blind, but now I can see. And so, with one accord, they're gathering together like that. The prayer's being answered. They're, they're gonna be giving this movement of healing here. They're gonna go through. We're gonna see it as a matter of fact, Peter's shadow, as it says. Verse 13, yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And I think this is a good word for us today. This is a reputation that they had developed. And what was the reputation of? Purity, righteousness, that even in the body, when there were ones that were, came up like Ananias and Sapphira that had come up and, and had really stolen from God or had turned around and had a pretense, you know, all leaves and no fruit, if I can say it that way, had a pretense, they were serious and intentional about being Christians. They were serious and intentional about discipleship. And people had a reverential uh, respect and fear. They, they knew they weren't playing church. I mean, I say that often, we don't play church here. Well, they coined the term back there. I mean, you look at the early church. It's the first time we see in this chapter, the idea in chapter four, the name church was the first place it was given in all of the New Testament was here. They didn't play church. They understood and counted the cost. And the reason I say that's a good word for the church today is because I think some of us have gotten comfortable. Some of us have become indifferent. 
It's become, well, we're disciples and Christians when it's convenient, but most of our lives is lived in a way that we're doing things that are comfortable and convenient for us. We're not kingdom focused, and I'm not browbeating anybody here. I, I don't know anybody's walk. This is between you and Jesus, but it's something he was speaking to my life. He was talking to me, saying, hey, what are you doing? Where are your thoughts? What are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Who are you interceding? What are you doing? Are you more concerned with the cup of coffee and, and how you make it to, to church or work in the day instead of thinking, Lord, when my feet touch the ground, where can I serve you? How can I be about your business? Am I intentional? Am I waking up two hours early to make sure I'm prayed up for the battle ahead of me in the day? These disciples understood that. These apostles understood that. They were serious about following Jesus. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't a matter of convenience. This is what real discipleship looks like. And I know sometimes this is a foreign concept to much of the church today because of all the entertainment and hoopla that's going on. But that's not what it looked like in the early church. It mattered. There was a cost to be counted. Lives. Every one of the apostles were martyred. Most of the early church for the first 200 years were martyred and not martyred in good ways. I mean, if there is such a thing as a good way to be martyred. I mean, beheaded. I mean, you look at the things we're living today. People are afraid to stand up and say that's wrong. They're afraid of terrorism. They're afraid of Islam. They're afraid of all these things going on. We need to stand in the gap. We need to stop being afraid and stand up for what Jesus Christ has given us. And that's his word and the gospel of truth. And the only thing that leads unto salvation. Amen? Because that's what I read here. And when you do that and you stand in the gap and you're faithful and pure and righteous that way, then God turns around and adds to the church. He saves, but we also see something. Through the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, he also gives giftings, healings. He starts to do manifestations and works. Look at it with me in the next verse. So that they brought the sick, right? Oh, excuse me, let me go back to verse 14 there, right? And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. In spite of the affliction and oppression, the church is growing. Think about that today. How many programs that church pastors are putting in place, staff members, because they want to grow the numbers of their church, and they're, they're worried about all these programs and gimmicks and all the, the th marketing plan and this and that. Throw it all out. You, wanna, you want the church to grow? Teach the word of God. Read the Bible. That's how the church grows. You don't, you don't need to, to have a gimmick. There's nothing. To, it's the word of the Lord. It's, it's God-breathed, and there's power. It's dudamus. And so they were added, both men and women, so that they brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, at least the shadow. And, and what this is implying here, again, in the Greek is the idea is they're not saying they wanted the shadow, or they were looking for it, but are saying at the minimum, at the, at, the, at the idea here of just even being in the company of. What does this remind you of? When Jesus Christ walked the streets in Galilee and he was doing his ministry, as the Lord had showed him, the Father had showed him, there was a woman that was what? She was infirm, she was sick, she had a flow of blood. And all she wanted to do was do what? Get close enough to touch what? The hem of the garment. You remember that? When we read that Matthew, Mark, you looked through the Gospels. All she wanted to do was get close enough to touch the hem of the garment. What was that? Was it the hem that was something special that Jesus wore? What was it about? It was faith. It was her heart. 
It was a prepared heart. It was faith. And that's what we see here. People, when they hear the word of God and they get righteousness and truth, they respond in faith. You can't, you can't gimmick that. You can't make that. You can't artificially lather that up. That only comes from the teaching of the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. That's what the word of God says. That's what scriptures teach. So they see the shadow in Peter's packing by that would fall on some of them. I mean, what can you say about that? The faith of the multitudes that would come out, that they would come. And not only are they going to be content with this in Jerusalem, but we're going to see outside of Jerusalem, people are going to literally grab their loved ones, their friends, their, their infirm, their sick, and they're going to bring them to Jerusalem that all would be healed. Think about what that would mean, just the manifestation of, of healing we would see today. Think of the hospitals. Think of the ICUs. Think of the children's hospitals. There's babies, people that are sick. The doctors aren't giving them good prognosis. They, they may die. And they're not being given hope. They're being told, take a pharmacia, take a medicine, take this, take that. But they're not giving the truth of Jesus Christ that will allow them to truly live eternally, forever. Where death has your sting? Where is your sting, deathy? Death, right? That's what the script. Oh, where is your sting, death? That, that's what it's talking about here. That's what happens. That's, the, that's what happens here. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Can you imagine that today? The moving of the Holy Spirit that way? Now, was that just for then? Are we sensationists today? Do we think that all of a sudden Jesus Christ, who said, disciples, I want you to go to Jerusalem, wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, and then said that we all need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit because we in ourselves can do nothing good that way? That's what, that's what the Lord says. We don't have the resources in ourselves. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we do anything. When we stand before Jesus Christ, why will we take the crowns from our head and cast them at his feet? Why? Was it ever us? ever us that did anything or was it always Jesus Christ or his Holy Spirit that empowered us? Where does the glory belong? On the throne of God, never on man. It gets our eyes where it belongs. And so we see here it says that even unclean spirits, those demon-possessed, those non-believers, you know, believers can't be demons-possessed, obviously, so they were un there were non-believers there. And they were all coming out and they're getting healed. This is such an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Friends, look at me. Are you praying this way today? Do you have an intention and sincerity of prayer today where you're saying, Lord, set your people free? God has created all of creation. Everyone's a, a part of God's creation, but not everyone's a child of God. Are we praying, Lord, Close these hospitals down. We don't need them. Jesus, you heal. And that might be a big, bold prayer, right? Talk about praying for boldness. That's a big, bold prayer. But that's how we should pray because we have a big, bold God. Our God's hand's not slack. He heals whom he heals and sometimes the answer is no. But it's always for God's glory and we have to rest in that. And that's, that's what the Lord was showing me as I was going through this. I don't know, as you're reading through this now devotionally and we're going through this together, are we praying? Do we have that expectation? God, will you 
do that revival? Will you begin in our hearts? Will you do that in this area? Look at what's going on with the government in Harrisburg. Look at the governor. We've got a transgender uh, person that was, you know, what, a couple years ago pointed as the um, Secretary of Health or whatever the, the exact title is. Now creating curriculum to be putting into the schools in this local area that oversees all the health, the care, and workers and everything like that. Pushing an agenda. What's our mighty weapon, friends? It's prayer. Are we praying that way? We're living in perilous times. We need to pray. We need to be filled with the joy of Jesus Christ. We need to walk with the hope that God has given us because there are millions and millions of people in this area that are walking around hopeless. As we go into the, the Christmas season, as we go in, they begin to think about all the things going wrong in their lives, the debt they're about to run up, whatever's gonna happen, and, and, and they're just overwhelmed. Do you know that around the holiday seasons, the, the, the depression, the anxiety are at all times highs compared to all throughout the year? They're at, they're at their highest points. People are more overwhelmed, people are more breaking points. Companies, layoffs occur towards the end and before the beginning of a new budget season. It's a difficult season. But for you and I as Christians, if you're born again believers, man, what do you say? The harvest, but the workers, what? what the, har the workers are what? Few, but the harvest is plenty, it's great. You see, we get our eyes off of what we're really here for. We come inside, this, 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 what we do here in church, the work of the equipping of the ministry, you know, Ephesians 4, what is this about? Why do we come here Sundays and Wednesdays to be encouraged and equipped, why? Well, Ephesians 4 tells us it's for the work of the ministry. That's what we're here for, we're to go out, it's the work of the ministry, so that we can go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that will heal those that have truly broken hearts. That will heal those that are lame, that are hurting. Then the high priest. So, I mean, you know, any of us would sit there and go, this is awesome. Everybody be high five and yeah, man. The high priest, what do they turn around and do? Oh, they don't like this. Why? What are they, what's going on here? Religious leaders, we're talking about the Sanhedrin, the 70 plus one. What are they doing at this point? They're looking on this and they're going, wait a minute. They're drawing people to this man, Jesus Christ, the God man. What, what's going on at the sacrifices at the temple? Well, let's back into this. My father-in-law used to have a saying, you wanna go and fi you know, find out what's really going on? Track it back to the money. Track it back to the greed. It was an interesting saying. It's not proverbial, but it's, it is interesting. And what do I mean by that? Well, we're going to see in this particular account, there's two people, right? We're going to see the chief priests, Caiaphas and Annas. Both of them were on the take. How do we know that? Because we know Josephus' writings and others' extra-biblical writings tell us that through the sacrificial system that they had a stock in that, if you will, and they were millionaires, from literally the sacrificial system. That's why when Jesus Christ went into the temple, what did he do? He overturned the tables and said what? Don't make my house a den of thieves, right? Right, den of robbers, den of thieves. And who was on the take? The religious leaders. They were receiving from that because they said, well, you're traveling this way, and they were charging five, 10, sometimes 20 times more for a lamb without blemish. 
So we're, we're, we're reasonably, you know, Lord's given us intelligence here as, as believers in, in Christ. Step back for a moment. You now see people drawing people to Jesus Christ we know that are under a new covenant. You don't need to go sacrifice anymore. If you're not sacrificed, what are you not buying? You're not buying lambs. You're not buying, right? Now all of a sudden you're not buying lambs. What's that affect the bottom line? Right? The temple. The religious leaders. Caiaphas specifically, Annas. What's going on? That's why they're threatened. That's why they're threatened. They're not standing up. The, the other part of it is too is you have Sadducees that make up the Sanhedrin. And what's so cool about this is the Sadducees don't believe in what? They don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, number one. And they also don't believe in what? Angels. And we're going to see both of those things manifested truly before them. One, Christ was already resurrected. They knew it. They didn't deny it. But number two, God is going to turn around and send an angel, not the angel, Lord, the definite article, in other words, Jesus Christ, but lowercase a angel. In other words, I don't want to say a random angel. That comes across wrong, but you know what I mean? An unidentified angel, if I can say it that way. An unidentified angel to do what? To break them out of prison. The very thing that they didn't acknowledge or believe God uses. I, I just, I see the wit of God in that. He's like, you want testimony? You want truth? It's right before your eyes and you can't even see it. I think our Lord has a good sense of humor. So we read here, then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. What's that word meaning in Greek? It's envy. It's really envy. That's what it, it connotes there. The religious establishment, they're upset because they're drawing people away from them. Rather, they wanted to draw people to themselves. And they laid their hands on the apostles. Notice with me, that's plural. That's all 12 apostles here, okay? This isn't just Peter and John any longer. This is all 12. And put them in common prison. So, you know, John and Peter had already been in prison once. Now the boys are with them, and they're all in prison. And so we see persecution again. So let me ask you a question. If we see the early church going through persecution and affliction, how can we stand up and say, well, you know what? If you're a Christian, you should never have persecution and affliction. I would almost go so far to say, if you are so comfortable that you don't feel any persecution or affliction, that you are not feeling like there is a battle being waged against you constantly in some capacity, it's a battle for the mind, Ephesians 6, 11 through 17 tells us that, you might want to look at your walk. You might want to look at your Christian walk. If I could be so bold to say that would love, you might want to look at your walk. Have you put yourself on a shelf? Because every time I look here in, my, in the Word of God and you look in the Word of God, I see a lot of Christian trouble, if I could say it that way. A lot of Christian trouble. A lot of people coming against those that are Christian and constantly trying to destroy them or, or at least you know, somehow dis, you know, disband them or whatever word you want to use. But... At night, an angel, again, not the definite article. We know this isn't Jesus Christ. We can see that in the Greek. It's not the angel of the Lord, but an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go. So what does this tell us? First of all, as Christians, we shouldn't expect every single time something happens like persecution that God's going to break us out of jail. Why, why should we? Because God had a very specific purpose in breaking the boys out. They were going to do what? They were going to go back to the temple and they were going to proclaim the word of God, right? But should we assume then as Christians that we should never have anything bad happen to us? 
I mean, there are men that stand up that call themselves pastors that will literally stand in front of you or on the TV and tell you, send us your money. If you don't, God can't work. There are men that will stand up and say, if you are still inflamed or or hurting in some way, infirmed a better term, in some capacity, then you don't have enough faith. Show me where that is in the word of God. There are men that will stand up and they will tell you, in this particular case, God's not working through your life because, again, you lack faith or you don't have direction. I want you to know the word of God teaches that every one of us has a calling upon our life. It's different. Many members in the body of Christ, as Paul would talk about, and he will, as we read Romans and Galatians, and he talks about the many members in Corinthians. But here we look. God had a specific purpose. Bad things happen to good people. We don't need to be Job's counselors. You ever heard the term Job's counselor? We don't need to be Job's counselors. When we see a brother or sister in Christ, something happens to them, we start looking at what sins in their life, man. Not that we shouldn't examine our hearts and say, Lord, is there sin there that we haven't dealt with? But that shouldn't be, as brothers and sisters of Christ, that shouldn't be what we're doing one to another. We should look for ways to encourage each other because each and every one of us has a walk before us that God has placed And while we might understand some of that walk, because we are all going through our walk together, if I can say it that way, it's unique and different. God's called me to be an under-shepherd. Maybe he's called you to to work in a a store, to be a a mom and dad stay home, or, or whatever you do. And that's what God's given you, and he's equipped you for the calling he's given you. He's given you the resources to carry that out in him. He's provided a way out of every trial and every temptation. So in this particular case, the doors are opened. I mean, you would think this is miraculous. The apostles at this point are like, well, walk out, right? They start walking out of prison. We don't read anything. We don't, from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, where they're sitting there going, how did that happen? It was almost commonplace. They they, they expected, they were walking so much in the Spirit of God that it began to be common to see God do supernatural things. But how did it begin? It began with the proclamation of the gospel, the word of God and truth. And then we see these supernatural things happen. Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people the words of this life. Underline that. This life. What are the words of this life? If you had to summarize your life here this morning, what are the words of your life? How would someone describe how you lived your life or the character of your life? What would be your legacy? Would it be he loved God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength and followed after him diligently? Oh, he made mistakes along the way. But he was a man sold out for Jesus. I don't know about you. To me, that's job well done. That's job well done. It's not I amassed all the wealth I could. I did all these things. I had more houses, more boats. Look, none of that's going with you. You can't take a U-Haul and pack it to heaven. Nothing that you do in this earth is going to go with you. Only the treasures you build in heaven. It gets real, doesn't it, quick? We need reminding of this because we can get so off with the day-to-day routine. And and I'm trying to tell you, and, and, and some of you might look at me and go, oh, pastor's lost it. It is deliberate. You have to understand you have an enemy. It is deliberate to entice you, to distract you. Removing the Bible, having you, I mean, Colorado, look at the states. They've actually are trying to pass laws 
LGBT and other atheist groups, they're trying to pass laws that say you can no longer carry a Bible openly because it's considered a hate crime. Go, go read the news. It's, it's happening right now. This isn't like, oh, future five years. This is today. This is today. Your Bible is a, care, is a concealed weapon. But the word of God says it is a weapon, doesn't it? It's the what? It's the sword of the spirit. So they're, they're not too far off. They just don't like, they don't like what it proclaims because it hurts their feeling. Well, sometimes Jesus Christ is an offense because there's absolutes and truth. We don't get to turn around Monday through Friday and say, I play along with absolutes, but on Saturday and Sunday, I don't want absolutes anymore. How's that work for you? I've, I've sort of used that example before. Go into your workplace, go into your boss, you know, tomorrow, and say this whole nine to five thing, it's, it's really not working for me. I think I'm gonna come in about 11, maybe I'll leave at three, I might take an hour or two lunch, you know, I gotta catch up with the boys over there or whatever. You know, I wonder how that'll, I, I assure you in a week or two, if it even goes that long, you will not be employed. There are absolutes but people don't want to acknowledge those absolutes. But yet when it comes to Saturday and Sunday, well, we come in here, the word of God's open. Well, God's really legalistic. He's got all these rules and he just pushes them over us. He's like slamming us down. He's telling, wait a minute. When you look at the Bible, every single commandment or statute that God gives is to protect us. Don't live in fornication. Why? One, you could get diseases. Number two, because you break the fellowship and special unity that God created for one flesh. One man, one woman. There's a spiritual aspect to it that we don't even understand in this, this life, in this side of eternity, if I can say it that way. One man, one woman. God's designed it that way. Does that mean we don't love those that are in sin? We don't call it stuff, by the way. We call it sin. Do we not love those that are? No, we absolutely do. But we don't compromise. Jesus Christ is the fullness of truth and he's the fullness of compassion and grace. That's the character of God. That's who he's transforming you and I to be more like. We should not be being transformed more into the, you ever heard people say, I need to find me? No. That's what your psychotherapist might tell you. You need to find Jesus. You need to find Jesus. You need to lay you down and you need to find Jesus Christ and begin walking after him, amen? But that's what I mean about the world. We can get, we can get so bombarded with it that we begin to, it's like that boiling, I hate to use the word frog, I'm sorry for you animal lovers out there, but it's like the boiling, it's slow and steady and gradual and it's, it's like that's the enemy. He's a roaring lion on a leash, but he's prowling and he uses these things and it's slow and it's seductive. And most of the time, the hot tub's getting put up, the carrots are getting added, and the frog's sitting there going, smells good around here. He doesn't even know he's dinner yet. That's what the word of God teaches. It's slow and it's seductive. So he says, go stand in the temple, speak to the people the words of life. That's what you have. You have the greatest gift that could ever be given to anyone in creation the word of God in Jesus Christ. The only thing that can set men and women free, the only thing that can derive or deliver salvation is Jesus Christ in the new covenant. 
that he established with his shed blood, there's power, there's life in the blood. And he died for us so that we could go and do what? Do whatever we wanted and have a, uh, you know, bring out the punch bowl, man. Woo! No. So that we could tell other people so that they wouldn't spend eternity in hell. That's what he's given us. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. They were obedient, you know? But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together. So they, so they, they got the guys. They put them in prison, the boys. They're going to gather the council. Can you imagine how they might? Annas and Caiaphas, they're getting together. All right, boys, come on, all 70 plus one. You got the Sanhedrin, Sadducees, and Pharisees. They're all gathering together. What are we going to do with these guys? Not a clue that they're not even in jail anymore. They're down in the temple and pray. The very place that where should they be, the religious leaders? Shouldn't they be at the temple preaching or teaching the word of God? But where are they at? They're gathered in some room over there having Dunkin' Donuts, you know, or whatever, you know, Jerusalem Donuts or whatever they had during that day. You know, they're sitting back there doing their thing and their eyes off of God. And yet these are supposed to be the leaders of the temple or church at the time. So the high priest with those came and called the council together with the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought out. But when the officers came and did not find them in prison, they returned and reported saying, indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Can you imagine that? The guards standing outside are like, yeah, the boys are in there. The guards walk back. They go to get, what do you mean they're back? Yeah, they're, you know, nobody's left. We've been here the whole time. What do you mean you've been here the whole No, I'm telling you, we've been here the whole time. We've been on guard. You know what happened in that day? It's not like today. If you failed your job as a prison guard, your life was given for the life that was you lost. In other words, if somebody broke out of jail, it was your life that was given. You had to pay. You died. You were, you were taken. You were, that was it. These guys didn't take this lightly. So these guards are standing outdoors, but they opened them and they found no one inside. Gone. Where are they at? They're at the temple. What are they about? Their father's business. What would you have done? You were just the apostles. You're put in prison. You just got out of prison. You might be thinking, man, that got real awful quick, didn't it? Now, John and Peter had already been through that. And the Holy Spirit gave. But this is for the rest of the boys, the other 10. Matthias, I mean, he's the new guy in the block. Think of Matthias. He's sitting there, he's watching this. He's like, man, what did I get in? What do you mean drawing that straw? Peter, did you draw the right straw? All of a sudden, he's finding himself in prison. He's like, man, I did not see this coming. This is not what I signed on for. Where do you stand today? If somebody came up to you and said, give me your Bible, you're not to teach your children about Jesus Christ. If you do that, it's a capital offense. It's a hate crime. It's a hate speech. You know that's the direction they're moving in. The judiciary, the lawyers, the, the law. That's the move. That, that's the, the direction of it all. What are you going to do? This is real. This isn't something to be thinking about, wow, boy, that's 20 years out. No, no, this is real. What are you going to do? Are you willing to go to prison for your faith? Are you willing to die for the namesake of Jesus Christ? Now, I'm not trying to say we need to be rebels and we need to go out and... Look, I, I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying we, we turn around and we, we become violent or, you know, we go stand in front of an abortion clinic and those that are going to get abortions, we turn around and, you know, no. 
I, I don't see that in scripture anywhere where we're to go out and be violent. No, that's not what Jesus Christ did. He did when the woman was caught in adultery, he didn't take the stone and go, well, boys, I got first at it. No. He led with compassion, with grace and mercy. He wasn't violent that way. Now, did he call us to defend ourselves? Absolutely. Absolutely in scripture. But he didn't tell us to be aggressors. But he also didn't tell us to sit down and just believe what we want, do what we want, and not stand in the gap. When they try to change the laws, that this found, the foundation of this country was based on Judeo-Christian values and beliefs. Look at England right now. You want to know where Americas are going? Look at England. Look at their parliament. Begin to look around the country where they've been slowly moving and martyring Middle East, and they've been moving Christians out because of oppression and affliction. Look what happens in those countries. We're next. But it doesn't have to be. We all have a choice. Have you counted the cost? That's what it means to be a disciple. And I know this gets real awful quick, but that's what Jesus Christ said. He's not grammatically challenged. He said, there will be those that leave parents, mothers, sons, daughters, for my name's sake. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. Now, how would we get this information? Who was back in the room? Think about this for a minute. The apostles aren't there. Where are they at? The temple. So we have the Holy Spirit giving us an account, but who is back in the room at this very moment right now? You had the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Who's back in that room? Some man by the name Saul of Tarsus. You have Saul of Tarsus sitting in this room right now. You have Gamaliel. You have the religious leaders in the school there in, in this company, and he's hearing these things. You don't think after Paul got saved that he went back to the Jerusalem council and said, you know, when I was in this room, this is what they were doing. They were high-fiving one another. We got him now. And then to find out you guys weren't in, we couldn't explain what Jesus Christ did. Nicodemus is there. So one came and told them, saying, look, the men who you put in prison standing in the temple and teaching the people, right? We know where they are. They're exactly where you told them not to be. Not only are they not where you told them to be, you told them not to teach in the name of Jesus Christ, but they went to the temple and they're teaching the people that should have been there because you're not there. And they're teaching the word of God. They're standing in the gap because God began to use them and is no longer using you. Why is he no longer using them? Because the spirit of God had left them. We read about that in the Old Testament. Or we've, many of us have read that account in the Old Testament. We haven't gone through it corporately as a church yet. But Saul, when the spirit of God left Saul, he didn't even know it. And the spirit of God was then placed on who? David. David, remember that? King David. The, the guy that you'd least expect, least likely to be I mean, the guy that was a shepherd boy out there fighting lions and bears. You know, even his brothers didn't get it. God works through the least likely people you'd think. 
It's not the strongest people. It's not the people that have the most power or influence. It's the people with a humble heart. It's the people that are willing to say, I'm available and be used by God. Everybody's hand in here should go up because nobody is disqualified. Isn't that beautiful? <clears throat> then the captains went with the officers and brought them without violence. Notice that with me. For they feared the people. They feared the people more than they feared God. They feared the people more than they feared God. Lest they should be stoned. So here they're arrested again. They are, the boys all come up. The apostles are all together. And when they heard that, they brought them and set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, now, what do you think the first thing he'd ask them? How did you get out of jail? How did you do that? I have never, you know, boy, we've sent thousands of people in prison. Gamaliel's going to tell us about the other guys that were arrested and sent, you know, to prison, eventually died. Other threats like that, if you will. But how did you boys do it? No, they, they don't even care about that. What would be the normal question you and I would ask? They, they aren't even there. They're saying, didn't we strictly command you not to teach in the name of Jesus? You see, there's power in the name of Jesus Christ. There's power in the blood. And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intended to bring this man's blood on us? Why are they saying your doctrine? Because half of them, and especially the, the ruling council, much like we have a Supreme Court today, and we have Republicans and Democrats or whatever you want to call them, a bunch of boys that get together and I don't know what they do anymore, but they, they, they go back and forth and they, they argue different points of view. Well, at that point, the ruling class were the Sadducees at that time, not the Pharisees, although they made up the comprise of Sanhedrin. So the Sadducees, again, they didn't believe in the resurrection. And they didn't believe in angels. And so when I can imagine the apostles were in there and there's, there's going to be this proclamation, the doctrine that they're talking about is this, the Sadducees only believed in the first five books, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. So they would have looked at this and said, what doctrine are you spreading? It's not works-based. It's by faith in faith alone that you can be saved. This man, Jesus Christ, died for the remission of your sin. You don't need to buy an animal. Uh-oh, well that ain't good for the coffers. You don't need to turn around and do anything other than receive him as your Lord and Savior. Well, the religious leaders go, how do we make a business out of that? I mean, think about it. How do we make a business out of that? I think there's still many men standing in pulpits in America still trying to figure how to make a business out of religion. Praise God, we're not about religion and we're about relationship. And they said, and intended to bring this man's blood upon us. Whoa, now you're gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Turn in your Bibles back to Matthew 27. How short our memories can be, right? Not you and I, but I specifically mean back then. Look at verse 25. They stood before Jesus Christ as he was crucified or about to be crucified and they looked at Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate says, I'm washing my hands of this 
And all the people answered, right? Or actually, let me back up. Yeah, and all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Isn't that what they declared and proclaimed? They said, let his blood be on us. Now, back to Acts, it actually is. And they turn around and accuse the people and say, what are you trying to do? Bring his blood upon us? No, you already did that. How short their memories were. How short our memories can be, right? You did that already. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, notice they don't give a defense for why. They, they simply, they're about their father's business. They're, they're doing what they were called to do, and that was be witnesses. Their feelings don't matter. Our feelings don't matter. You're going to get your feelings hurt, Christian. Friend, you're going to get your feelings hurt. Your feelings don't matter. We need to learn to you know, remove that from us. When we go out and proclaim the word of God, people aren't going to agree with you. It doesn't make it any less true. So what happens? We ought to obey God, and that word ought in the Greek actually is must. So if you're taking notes, must, it's not a good idea. We must obey God rather than men. Now, we're to obey civil authorities. 1 Timothy chapter 2 tells us that. We're to pray for our government. We're to pray for our president, our religious leaders, our establishment. Absolutely. Until the point where we're to follow all civil authorities, pay your taxes, do all these things. Absolutely. Until what point? Until they violate the word of God, in which case God has never called us to do that. Well, Pastor, I, I, you're just saying that very loosely. Give me an example of that. Sure, we were just in, we're in the book of Exodus on Wednesday nights, aren't we? And we just happened to read a few weeks back about two women that were named out in particular. They were um, midwives that way. And they were delivering babies, and the Pharaoh and the king came out and said, hey, any male child like that under two years or whatever, when or even when they're born, I want you to kill them. And the midwives went, uh-huh. And then when the babies were born... Deliver the babies. Well, the Hebrew women, they give you know, birth quicker. That was sort of the, and I don't believe, they probably did. They were working women. They were, pop them out, move on, man. And that's what they did, right? It wasn't like today where we've come a long way, haven't we, ladies? And we, our hospitals, and the, we've come a long way, ladies. So, and I don't mean me and I mean you ladies. Because <laughs> I sit back and I just pray as you guys doing that. I'm like, oh my, the pain. Um, you women are strong. I don't have any other words to strong, all kinds of strong. So, they, you know, you turn around and you, and you look at that. What was God showing us through that? Because then he turns around and he blesses their homes. God shows that when we honor him, when it goes against the civil authorities, God blesses us. Now, some of you might be going, wait a minute. I can read the martyrs, you know, the voice of the martyrs today. And I see in Pakistan, I see in Iraq, I see in Iran, I see in China, I, I see in Lebanon, I see in all these places around the world where men and women and children honor the word of God and God's commands and they violate the local laws of the land and it doesn't look like their little houses are getting blessed. It costs them their lives. Now, I would suggest to you, if you think about this from an eternal perspective, what is death? 2 Corinthians 5, 8, absent from the body, present with the Lord. When we begin 
the helmet of salvation, that's why it's one of the armors of God that he gives us, Ephesians 11 through 17, he clearly tells us, and where, what does the helmet guard? Your mind. What's it describing and talking about? It's talking about the temporal versus the internal. If you all keep your eyes on the temporal and I keep my eyes on the temporal, we'll be walking in fear all the time, wouldn't we? What if they put me in prison? What if they take our house? What if they take our cars? What if I get locked up? What if they kill my child? What if all this happens? Horrible things that I, I don't want just to happen to any of us, but horrible things that are happening today already all around the world. We just haven't seen it in America yet, but are already happening all around the world to Christians. I think most of us get that. I don't think anybody's here is going, I did not know that. I think most of us are aware of that. And we're praying for the, our brothers and sisters all around the world. It's real for them. They understand discipleship. Nobody's standing up there and going, hey guys, you know, are you on the sidelines? No. Every day of their lives, their very being, just praying can get them killed. Just carrying a Bible can get them killed. And they turn around and they stand with Jesus because they understand with the eternal view, like the Bible says, what can you do to me? I mean, really, think about it for a moment. Play it out to its logical conclusion for a moment this morning. What can anybody really do to you here? If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, what can anybody really do to you? It will be for a moment or a time. And then after that, you are united with your Savior and Lord for all of eternity. When we begin to understand that, and I know that's radical. Some of you are looking at me going, that's crazy radical. No, it's not. We just haven't seen it yet. We've gotten so comfortable with mammon and everything else in this country, we're not faced with that constant choice. You travel on a missionary's trip and you go out and you go to even Russia or you go to certain areas in you know, the Middle East and you absolutely will be faced with that choice. We've had folks in the Middle East and in that area and you can talk to them and ask them what their experience was like when they carried a Bible. And if they came out and stood on a corner and started proclaiming Jesus Christ, you know, would they, everybody come back and kumbaya? No, what would happen? What would happen? They'd be arrested. They'd be beaten. They'd be murdered and killed. All because of Jesus but they're okay with it. Not that they're okay with it like, oh yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But, but they're okay with it in that they understand it's for a moment. And Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit equips them. Because many of us have thought, what if somebody turned around and you're in an alley, deny Jesus Christ, and they, you know, fictitious, and I hate to do it, and they point a gun to your head and you say, what are you gonna do? Would you deny Jesus now and live? Most of us would probably go, no, we're, we're not den denying Jesus. Probably good. But then they turn and point it at your kid. Whoa, now that got real. What would we think? What would we be doing? You know, I believe through the Holy Spirit that at that time every one of us would have the boldness that we need to have to never deny our Lord. If we had to answer that question now, many of us would, and maybe me included, would say, no, I couldn't watch my son or my daughter or someone hurt like that but I really believe with everything that I am and what the scriptures teach, and just as these men, I mean, I look at Peter and the difference of Peter when he was filled with the boldness of the Holy Spirit compared to when he wasn't. 
He wouldn't even stand to deny Jesus at that. I mean, he, he denied Jesus three times at that point, excuse me. He wouldn't even stand at the guards where there was a young woman. She was a young, she probably was 13, 15 years old. You're one of them. No, what are you talking about? He wouldn't even stand in the presence. It wasn't even in a place where he was going to be harmed, but he wouldn't even associate with the name of Jesus Christ. Now, after receiving and being baptized in the Holy Spirit and the fullness of that, he's standing up and he's saying, here we are. Whether you, you know, whether it's, it's right in your eyes or not, who are we to listen to? Are we to obey God or obey man? You're going to obey someone. You're going to respond in some way. Make that decision and choice up now. I, I suggest to you that every single Christian had to make that choice in their life. Jesus Christ made that choice. When he was in the garden, before he even went to the crucifixion, he sat there and he prayed, Lord, let this cup pass from my hand. What was he talking about? The cup of what? Wrath. Let this cup pass from my hand, but not be it my will, your will be done. What was he doing? He was preparing himself. He was, he was it said he, he sweat drops of like, not blood, but like blood. What was he doing? He was, he was emotionally being prepared for what he was about to happen. And that's the way to the sin, past, present, future, being placed on a man that had no sin who became sin for us so that we could be what? The righteousness of God. I'm just trying to help you understand. This is what's going on at this very moment. These apostles are standing in this room. They're with these religious leaders at any one time. They could take their lives, their kids' wives, their, their wives' lives, their family lives at any point, and they're standing there with boldness, and they're not willing to move an inch because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someday, if this comes to our country, I never want to hear Jesus Christ say to me, you never under-shepherd or prepared the flock. You didn't faithfully teach my word and teach them that there will be a day in which he said it even before the great tribulation where oppression and affliction, we're living in those days. You didn't prepare the flock. And you all have responsibilities to prepare your children, your family, your friends. And this isn't a, you know, a, I don't know the right word, like a, you know, I didn't prepare to go there this morning with any of this. I don't know why this was not, you know, as I'm going through this text, but the Lord is just putting this on my heart for the days we're living, that we need to be prepared. We need to be serious about our walk. We need to make up our minds. We're all in for Jesus Christ, regardless of the consequences and circumstances. I don't know, maybe there's somebody here this morning that, that hasn't made that decision but these disciples did, these apostles did. We ought to, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. They didn't sugarcoat it. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. There he is. There it is, excuse me. He's, the, the apostles are giving the gospel. And I believe with everything that I am that they wanted these men to repent and be saved. Even these wicked religious leaders who killed their Lord and Savior, who killed our Lord and Savior, he, they wanted them to repent and get right with God. 
There was never hardness of heart on the apostles' part, even though they're about to be beaten and scourged in some ways. We need to guard our hearts from that too. We gotta be careful. We don't wanna get hard-hearted to those that are atheists or those that are agnostic or whatever it is, and, and we sit there and we can get a hard heart. We don't wanna be that. We wanna be compassionate, full of love, full of mercy, and being willing at the right time when the Holy Spirit says speak, we speak. When he doesn't say speak, we don't speak, but we're always ready to give a defense for why we believe and the hope we have in, inside of us. And we are his witnesses to these things. So are you, so am I. We declare this same statement. We are the witnesses of Jesus Christ. Also, his Holy Spirit, whom God has given to us, who obey him. You see, at this very point, what they were doing was two things. One, they were looking right at these men, and they're saying, you no longer have authority over the church of God. You failed your post. You weren't watchmen. You weren't the prophets that were standing in the gap and standing and holding the book. You failed. And so God has raised up a group of people that will stand in the gap, the remnant that will not compromise. God has always provided throughout all of it, you know, all the centuries, remnants of true believers that walk in righteousness without compromise. Babylon, Assyria, he did it throughout all, the, he's doing it today. Even in the, the Middle East, we could go through and look at those countries, we have believers in those countries that in spite of the, the affliction, persecution, and threatened life, threatened life, you know, their life being threatened, they're still not compromising. It's miraculous. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill him. And what they want, how can we get rid of these guys, right? The one, then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel. Now he was the grandson of Hillel. If you know Hillel, um, he had an amazing reputation. He was a highly respected rabbi. He, Gamaliel was the grandson of him, okay? So he carried a lot of weight. So when, when, when Gamaliel would stand up like that, people are gonna listen. I mean, uh, we read, um, I think it was Josephus or even... Um, I can't remember if it was Josephus or, or what historian had talked about it. Nicodemus and Gamaliel actually were good friends. And remember when Nicodemus went to the tomb and he, well, he actually went first to Pontius He asked for the body and then he went to the tomb and took it down. He covered him, gave him the, uh, the, the, the place where, you know, he was going to put him in the tomb there. Tradition says that he lost everything after that because the religious leaders turned around and looked at that and basically excommunicated him because of his association with Jesus Christ. And while he still was allowed to be part of that Sanhedrin, basically he was removed. It gets to the point where, I guess 15 years passed by, he's got nothing anymore. Nobody would do business with him. He became an outcast. They basically shunned him. And as they began to shun uh, Nicodemus, Gamaliel picks up the phone. No, he doesn't pick up the phone. He contacts them, Facebooked it, right? And he turns around and says, Gamaliel, or Nicodemus, come live with me. Come live with me. Gamaliel. You know, I believe that Nicodemus, when he had that time with Jesus Christ and learned when he went to him at night and said what it was to be born again, I believe Nicodemus, while he was staying with Gamaliel like that, he began to talk to him. You know what Jesus said? He says, I saw the body. I was the one that picked up that body off the cross. He was dead. No question about it. I carried him down. I, we wrapped him. I brought him and put him in that tomb. I know he was in the tomb. 
I watched the Roman soldiers seal that up because they were afraid something was going to happen. And they sealed it up with the ribbon and everything like that and said, it's an order of Rome. Anybody who breaks this seal will be paying for it with their lives. He goes, I watched the whole thing. And then a few days later, I saw it on Facebook. It came up again. The post, that's the alert that says what? Jesus is risen. He just, I had to go back to the tomb. And I go back to the tomb and what do I see? There's no body. The Roman officials and guards, I looked at them. I said, where's the body? We don't know. We stood here and we can't explain what happened. The, the, the account is that, that there was an angel of the Lord that rolled it away, right? We're in the Christmas season, right? We're, we talk about it Easter, but we're in the Christmas season. What are we looking at? The birth of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. How can we read this passage and not see Jesus? And what is happening? He turns around. And they, you know the account. The, the, the stones rolled or thrown or moved away. They look. There is no body. The accusations that were made in chapter 4 and 5 of Acts here. When they come and say, what have you done? And they turn around and they give the gospel. Peter and John twice, three times actually, give the gospel. Not one time does anybody come back and go, that's wrong. That's an error what you're saying. The testimony you're giving is incorrect. They knew this to be truth. It was, it was impossible to deny it. And Gamaliel, here's this man now. He, you know, Nicodemus at that time, the third richest man, he takes him in, you know, because he loses everything, as you might say, from an earth standard. A teacher law held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, take heed yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. You know, they used to call him, the Mishnah tells us, Rabon, right? This was the most complimentary term. Raboni, you know, means what? Teacher, right? Rabon actually connotes master, one of my masters, one who I listen and serve. That's how much respect is held for this man. Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody, a number of men, 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. The Roman soldiers did that. Verse 37, after this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in those days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished who obeyed and were dispersed. Why? Because we know a little bit more about uh, Judas of Galilee. He turned around and says, you don't need to pay your taxes. He says, we're not under the law anymore like that. We don't have to pay our taxes. And what happened? They, Rome didn't like that. Rome says, oh, no, you will pay your taxes. And if you don't pay your taxes, you'll pay with your life. And that's exactly what tradition tells us. So we're, we're, again, Rome handled that one. And now I say to you, keep far away from these men and let them alone. For if this is the plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is God, you can't overthrow it, lest you even be found fighting against God. Do you see how miraculous this is and how wise this is, this man is saying? This is very honest. He's not afraid to speak to the 70 as he's sitting there. He's not afraid to give them the truth against his own. Is there anybody here afraid to give the gospel? And they agreed with him. They hear him. They probably didn't expect it. Right? And they agreed with him.
with him, and they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them. So that's almost like one of those, what? Wait a minute, you agree with them that this is a, if this is a work of man, it'll come to nothing, so just ignore it. But if it's a work of God, you're gonna wrestle against God. They're like, yeah, that's true, get them. What? And this idea of beating here, we know from the Greek what this is talking about is skinning. That's the term. I mean, it's flogging. It's the whole idea of 39 stripes. The Sanhedrin had the capability to issue 39 stripes. They couldn't crucify, but they had the capability to do this. This is what they do to these men. Right? They beat them, and then they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, but not without rejoicing, man. Can you see it? These guys are in there. They just got beaten to the point of where we use the term skinning. That's the term it comes from. It's not the same way that Jesus Christ was beaten with the, the points that were like sharp like skull and, and you know the bone like that and uh, the metal. This isn't like, this is more like lacerations with like a whip or something that would take your skin off but not cut into the muscle or anything. But either way, they were beaten 39 stripes each of the 12 apostles. That's what would have been given here. And what are they doing before they even get out of the presence? They're not even out of the room yet or the court. They're rejoicing. Why were they rejoicing? Because they began to understand what it was to live a life not comprised with comfort, but with sacrifice. And the fact that they found it worthy, that they were called to be worthy, to sacrifice, to surrender, to be beaten for the namesake of Jesus Christ. They rejoiced. Now you understand when James, in the book of James says, count it all a joy. Gives a whole new meaning to it, doesn't it now? Count it all a joy, whatever trial you're going through. You can't take away the joy from a Christian. You can't take the joy away from a disciple. Because in spite of what's happening and what you see, God's plan is being worked out. And it won't be long, soon and very soon, that he will return for you and I as part of the rapture plan. Or our eyes will close and they'll open and we'll get to see our Lord and Savior. It's awesome that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease from teaching. Now, what is the difference there? Some of you look teaching and preaching. What's the difference? Teaching is obviously instruction. It's given to those that are saved. This is what this is this morning. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you're sitting under the word. The Holy Spirit is teaching you. He's instructing you. He's encouraging, equipping you for the calling, for the work of the ministry. If you're a born-again believer, but he's also preaching. And preaching is the word we get evangelizo. And that's the term and the idea of evangelism. And that's where we get the idea of reaching the lost. We as believers aren't just to be encouraging those that are already saved, but we're also called to reach evangelizo in the Greek, to reach the lost, to preach. And what are we preaching? And we'll close there. What are we preaching? It says it right there in your word. Jesus as the Christ. The definite article. Jesus as the Christ. 
If you don't preach Jesus as the Christ daily, what's missing? If you don't encourage a brother or sister in the Lord, what's missing? Well, I'd suggest to you it's the work of the ministry. The ministry that God's called each and every one of us to. It doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. If you pray and you ask God with boldness and for, you know, Lord, I'm available. Like Isaiah, here I am, Lord, use me. God will use you. Who doesn't want to be used for the kingdom of God? Amen?